morning. We want to welcome you to our service this morning. I hope that you're ready to hear from God. He has a great word for you, we believe. In the book of Psalms, chapter 139, I believe that God will richly encourage you. I ask that you continue to pray for us uh, and family of grace as we continue to break through cultural and racial barriers, help people connect and become all that God has intended for them to be. This morning, I believe God will help propel you to the next level and fully understanding your perfect design. I hope this message will bless you all. If you have your Bible today, turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. I've not been able to get away from this verse for about three weeks to a month now. On Mother's Day, one of my best friends that uh, we went together, we went to church together in our mother's womb, uh, literally, and have been friends all of our life. On Mother's Day, uh, he had a five-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy, and they were playing out by the lake uh, where they live, and uh, one of them slid in, it had been raining, and the five-year-old boy drowned. And uh, I didn't really know what to do, and uh, asked me to share a word at the funeral, and I shared part of this scripture, and just really not been able to get away from it. And uh, so, Brandon, as you guys go in there and go a little bit deeper with our youth in the next hour, I want you to kind of think about that on the backdrops of this and what God's speaking. And uh, I want to talk to you about the greatest plan, the greatest plan there is. Everybody's always looking for a good plan, a good strategy. Uh, I was thinking about this, inventing something. When something is made, when somebody goes through the time and the trouble of making something, they put a lot of energy, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of drafting, a lot of putting their thoughts down, trying to pull them all together to come up with a plan of the invention that they're making. Not only do they put a lot of their own energy in it, they put their own treasure in it. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty cool show on television right now. Uh, it's called The Shark Tank. How many of you have ever seen The Shark Tank? And uh, none of those people needed the sharks to make their product. Matter of fact, most of the people that appear on the shark tank have something that the sharks don't have. They have a lot of creative power, a lot of great ideas, a lot of ingenuity. But the sharks have something that the people don't have, and it's called money, influence, and prestige. Now, they're great entrepreneurs, of course. But the reason they're trying to buy up everybody else's is the reason they're trying to capitalize on everybody else's creativity is because what they lack in creativity, they make up with influence and money and entrepreneurial business drive. But that's not what makes them successful. What makes them successful is the creativity of other people. And I was looking at this, and I looked at a couple of statistics. And it's one out of 5,000 inventors have a successful patent. Two out of 3,000 ideas become a patent and only one is successful. Only out of 1.5 million patents, only 3,000 make it commercially. Now think about that. 
1.5 million people came up with a plan. And they said, I think I can get rich with this. Matter of fact, many of them went broke trying to do it. Matter of fact, everybody that's pretty successful uh, has, has been broke several times. I mean, Walt Disney, I love the story of Walt Disney. He was fired from a newspaper because he didn't have creative thoughts. Have you been to the Magic Kingdom? And then he went broke five times. Story after story after story of people who were, were great. For every Bill Gates and for every Steve Jobs, there was hundreds of thousands of guys who had great ideas that never made it. Matter of fact, even Bill Gates' first idea was a flop. Failure. Went broke. and Had to come up with another plan. But I want to speak to you this morning about a plan that is never needed to be. There was never a need for a plan B with this greatest creator and inventor. And I read that scripture to you earlier. In the book of Psalms 139, he says, For it was you that created me. It was you that created my inward parts, in verse 13. You knitted me together. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Oh, I just get the picture of a grandmother sitting there knitting. And the same way they knit those things together, I get the picture of our Heavenly Father putting us together in our mother's wombs. Our, it says, you know, that I will praise you because I am fearfully and remarkably and wonderfully made. There's three things I want you to write down about this this morning. About what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Number one, there's the, the great conception. The sketch pad. I joke with people a lot. That every great business began on a napkin. Shows the simplicity of my mind. You know, family of Grace Church and all that we are today with all of you. And all that God has brought to being at this point. With family of Grace being on two continents. All began on a napkin at a barbecue restaurant one day. Probably sketching around the barbecue sauce. Southwest Airlines began on a napkin. The other day I was talking to somebody. We were talking about a new creation, an idea. And I said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Run, get a napkin, and write down these thoughts. I want to tell you about a plan that's never needed another plan. It never went broke. It was never a bad idea. It was you. It was you. Look at the person next to you. Look at them. And say, God never needed a plan B. He didn't. I know that's embarrassing to look at the person next to you and say that. Don't you hate when preachers do that? God never needed a plan B. Man thinks they need a plan B. Matter of fact, man has come up with a drug called plan B to overrule God's plan A. It's called a pregnancy. You get pregnant, you take it with so many hours of pregnancy, it'll abort the baby. Matter of fact, this scripture deals with a little bit of that. Because it goes on and it says in verse 16, Your eyes saw me when there was no farm. You know, they talk about the baby being a peanut. Before it was ever a peanut. Before it was ever a peanut. The eyes of our Heavenly Father were upon you. The great conception. Jeremiah says in chapter 1 in verses 4 through 10. Look at these verses right here. Good verses for you to mark down in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. What an awesome passage. The prophet there in the womb. 
He says, before I was ever born, you ordained me as a prophet. When I was in my mother's womb, you saw me, you sanctified me, you set me apart for your intended purpose. And God's doing a great work. He continues in those next verses of Jeremiah chapter 1 to call out what God called Jeremiah to do. He specifically laid out the blueprint in Jeremiah chapter 1 for Jeremiah's life. And he begins to speak these things to him and to encourage him. And he begins to tell him how I want you to root out. I've anointed you. Some people say Jeremiah was predestined to preach. Others say he was predestined to fail. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Prophet In Jeremiah chapter 1 he says, the, the word of the Lord came to me and began to speak to me. He began to have his way in my heart and my life. And he says, I chose you. I formed you from the womb. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. But I protested. I said, oh no, Lord. Boy, have you ever been there? Oh no, Lord. No, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak. Lord, I don't know how to do all these things. I'm just a youth. What a scripture. Have you ever been there? Oh no, Lord. Oh no, Lord. I think about the beginning of Family of Grace and the people who believed in the vision and what God was doing and invested their life, invested their resources, invested their talent, invested their sweat equity. And there was a lot of it that was put into this particular building you're sitting in. A lot of sweat equity. And what God was doing, there was a great conception of many things, but there was a great conception of you and you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And God's plan for your life doesn't need a plan B. God doesn't need to rewrite your plan for your life, his plan for your life. He just needs you to agree with it. You say, well, what do you mean? God doesn't want me to have my own plan. No, God just understands that his plan for you is far better than any plan you could ever concoct on your own. Because he understands the very details of you. He understands the inward parts of you because he knitted you together. He knows your thoughts. I love what these passages of scripture say. Look look with me if you would. And what he's teaching us. In Psalms 139 and verse 1 it says, Lord you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. You know all about it. The great conception of your life is the greatest plan in all the world. God did not create you to live a life of mediocrity. The old proverb once said, I could be living on the French Riviera, but I love my friends too much. That kind of went right over some of you, so I'm going to say it again. I could be sitting on the French Riviera, which means living the life of the rich and famous, but instead I love my friends too much. Young people think, man, my friends are so important, and your friends will either be people that pull you back or push you forward. They'll either agree with you and agree with what God has for your life or they'll try to get you to settle for something less. 
God has a great plan for you. God wants to do a work in your life. God wants to do something special that nobody else can do. You were created. You were knitted together. You were fearfully and wonderfully made with the conception, the conception of the idea. Listen, before you were ever created, the idea for you was conceived. Before the, 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 the patent was ever needed for a new product, the idea began in a man's mind. The idea began in a woman's mind. And from beginning in their mind, it went down on a sketch pad. It went down on a napkin. It went went down on paper and from paper it went to computer from computer it went into the mechanical concept of putting something together the nuts and the bolts the the circuits and all of those things came together the creation of it but before the creation ever came about before the product ever came out of the factory there was a conception of the idea and i want you to understand something the creation in the great part it's the idea that god had for you is the great part before you were ever created. Before, when you were formless, there was a plan. And because God had a plan, he created you. Because God needed a doctor, because God needed a lawyer, because God needed a preacher, because God needed a missionary, because God needed a mother, because God needed a father, because God needed a banker, because God needed an auto mechanic, because God needed a painter, because God needed a carpenter, because God needed a baker, because God needed a zookeeper, because God needed a musician, because God needed astronauts, because God needed scientists, because God needed chemists, because God needed whatever he created you. Because of the conception of an idea, there became the creation of you. The great conception, but the great creation. God didn't make a mistake. Today, cosmetic surgery is so great of a business because when people look in the mirror, they say, God made a mistake when he made me. I've got these defects. Well, defects do great things. I mean, for instance, look at a golf ball. It's got all those dimples in it. You know, those dimples is what makes that golf ball fly so far. Now, who figured that out? I don't know. Somebody a lot smarter than me. Sometimes it's the handicaps that are our greatest strengths. Sometimes the things that we despise the most about ourselves and our own ability is the very thing that God is wanting to use to separate us from everybody else is the thing that God is wanting to use us to catapult us to the next level and to do a great work in our life. One of the reasons I feel that this message is so imperative for the summer is especially for young people. Because you got a lot of time on your hands. You're not in school. You're walking the streets. You're hanging out in the parks late at night. And before you know it, you may be on a good pathway, but some harebrained idea, sitting on a park bench at night, probably smoking something you shouldn't be smoking, will end up causing you to do something Lord knows you know you shouldn't be doing. That whole thing begins to mess people up, begins to tear them down, begins to destroy them. So many lives were destroyed by one split second. One thought, one thing, one getting in the back seat of a car with somebody, one time too many, going too far in the heat of passion, all of a sudden will bring you down a pathway that you don't want to go about. You say, oh, pastor, you talking about getting pregnant? Oh, no, it's far worse than getting pregnant. 
There's things you can come away from the backseat of a car with that's far worse than a baby. A baby's life. God uses what we think is a tragedy to bring forth some of the greatest things in all the world. The great creation. The great conception of the creation. The idea, the thought that went behind it, that birthed it into existence. Don't you trade that in. Guys, don't you trade that in. Gus, don't you trade that in, son. Don't you trade that in. Don't you be getting rid of that. The great plan that God has for your life, that he's wanting to do in your heart and your life special. Right now, speaking to you. Saying, son, I've created you for a purpose and a plan. Don't you settle for what the world says. The world says, oh, you don't have the right pedigree. You don't have the right education. You don't have the right degree. You don't have the right money. You don't have the right people pulling for you and rooting for you. And as a result of that, you settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for what the world wants to give you. You strive for what God has for you. And I'm going to tell you, whatever God has for you, it's going to stretch you. It's not going to come easy. Oh, you may be a natural at it, but it will not come easy. There will be nights that you say, what in the world am I thinking? There will be times that you think, I have lost my mind. And the person you married to will probably say, yes, you have. But don't you give in. Don't you back up. Don't you let up. Don't you listen to peer pressure. You become the peer pressure and say, I know the plans that God has for me. And even though I may be like Jeremiah and say, oh, no, Lord, I'm just a kid. Don't you settle. Don't you trade in this summer what God has something so great for your life. And not only is there the great conception, not only is there the great creation but there's a great calm that comes with it you say oh wait a minute what do you, what do you mean the great calm well you're going to be heading to some tumultuous waters if you're trying to be all that god's created you to be you're going to be headed to some tumultuous waters it's not going to be easy just because you go down and you sign a, a a piece of paper and say okay i'm going to be all that god created me to be it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Do you remember the scripture from Jeremiah? You remember I told you earlier, some people say Jeremiah was predestined to preach, but others say he was predestined to fail. Because everywhere he went, nobody wanted to hear his message. But Jeremiah was not a false prophet. That dude was making prophecies that was still come, coming true. One of, my, one, one of my favorite scriptures, and everybody loves to quote this scripture. I know the plans that I have for you to give you a hope and a future. Don't you love that scripture? I mean, I, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a hope and a future. It, it, doesn't that give you... I mean, people write that scripture down and use it all the time. Do you know why he told them that? Because they were headed for 70 years of bondage. And what he said was, in the middle of your 70 years of bondage, don't you forget that I know the plans that I have for you. The plans that I have for you may lead you through some dark, deep valleys, but understand that before you ever uttered a word while it's on your tongue, I know it, I know it, I know it. I know your thoughts. Know this. Look at what it says in Psalms 139. I have hedged you in. 
I love that scripture. It says, I have hedged you in. What that means is, is that when you're walking in the way of God, moving in the will of God, it might not be easy. The road might be difficulty. People may make fun of you, but what I want you to know, a heavenly father says, in the midst of the controversy, in the midst of the raging storms and accusations and mockeries, know that there's a great calm that I have set a hedge about you. Don't believe me. Look at what it says in verse 5. I have circled you about. I have circled you about. You've placed your hand on me. Well, there is no greater hand to have on you than the hand of God. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Look at what David says. Where can I go and escape your spirit? Have you ever ever tried to get rid of the spirit of God? Run from a call. Run from his plan for your life. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and show, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me up. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are all the same to you. What was your problem? What was your excuse? What was my excuse? There is no darkness in him because he is all light. Now understand something. God has a plan for you. The reason God gave me the scriptures was because it says in verse 16, that my eyes saw you when I was formless and all the days were written in the book of life before a single one of them ever began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast is the sum of it. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains. Of the sand. When I wake up. I am still with you. What a tragedy to lose the five year old boy. And how difficult that is. And how even to this day. If I'm sitting with my wife and talking about it. I start crying. Just choking back tears thinking about it. But you know before that baby was ever born. Every day was numbered. Written down in the book. Before you were ever born. There was an idea. There was a plan. There was a purpose for you. Not only was there a purpose, God wrote, wrote down the days that you would live. My question is, how many of them are we wasting? How many days are we squandering? How many hours are we just throwing away? Trying to do something we weren't created to do. Maybe you're there at home and you're saying, Pastor, what do I do? Right where you are, agree with God. Believe in the plan that Jesus has for you. What God's trying to do in your life. Confess that you've fallen short. That you've missed the mark. Commit your life to it. And say, God, I just give it all to you. I trust you. Lord, I obey you. Find you somebody after that that will support you. That will believe in you. That will pray with you. That will cry with you. That will suffer long with you. Let God have his way in your heart, in your life. And I promise you, on the authority of the word of God, you will not be disappointed.
Today we're continuing to discuss the beginning and the background of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Al, thanks again for joining us. And, uh, uh, you know, I was just thinking, man, in preparation for this sermon series, uh, how significant uh, the book of Ephesians is to the life of a believer. Um, I know that outside of the book of Revelations, the book of Ephesians is probably one of the deepest uh, theological books of the whole New Testament. You know, um, it's prison epistle. Tell us a little bit about that prison epistle and some of the others that Paul had wrote and what was taking place. Well, Paul wrote several uh, epistles, which is is a letter uh, to encourage uh, the the different churches. Uh, he wrote one to the folks at Coloss, uh, where we have the book of Colossians. He wrote, of course, the one to the the folks at Ephesus, the church there at Ephesus. Um, and and the writing is to encourage people. He says just to uh, let them know um, how to how to live, how to live out the Christian life in a very practical way. And so you know the book of Ephesians uh, does just that. It uh, as we talked about before, it not only tells us how to become a believer, but how to live as a believer uh, once we uh, take that step of faith and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. As we are uh, in the process of preparing to go through this sermon series this summer, the book of Ephesians, what do you feel like is one of the main things that grabs you in, in the preparation of the background study for the book of Ephesians? I think one of the things that grabbed me is uh, the, the, the depth of the book. Uh, you know, we, we're all familiar with, with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it talks about uh, how we become a believer. Uh, but, but it's so much more than that. It actually covers every area of the Christian life. It talks about how to live life as a believer, as an individual believer. It talks about how to um, uh, walk uh, that, that, that Christian walk. It talks about family. You know, really, the, the, the one thing that Paul doesn't touch on, as he does in many of his other books to the churches, is, is church order. It's, it's more of a personal letter to the individual believer. And it's personally helping us try to establish our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things. Um, so many of the people were caught up into the worship of the sex goddess Diana, and mm-hmm. uh, she had this massive uh, temple there. Um, you know, I, I know in preparation we realized that Ephesians, Ephesus was the gateway. Yes. The Ephesian people was the was the uh, uh, metropolitan area. Um, as church planners, mm-hmm. uh, from the church planning perspective, if you you know you're looking at an area, where am I going to plant a church? For those guys, it's a great opportunity to plant a church in the city of Ephesus, correct? It, it was because it was really crossroads of the world at that time. And uh, there were multi-cultures uh, in and out of Ephesus. And so, you know, as a church, that's that's part of our passion and a part of what we do is to reach across cultural and social and racial uh, lines and uh and, and so, you know, I would imagine that the Church of Ephesus would have to do the same thing to be an effective church in that community. What a great opportunity because when people would come, many people from the surrounding areas would come to the yeah. city of Ephesus. And then mm-hmm. if Paul and them had a chance to share the gospel yes. with them, then they would basically convert them to Christianity, mm-hmm. send them back yeah. into their areas as missionaries. What a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors that made this program possible. Bayou Shirts. At Bayou Shirts, we offer quick, friendly, quality service for all your t-shirt needs. Check us out today at BayouShirts.com for information on all the services we can provide.
Tampering Ground Coffee Shop in downtown Alexandria. If you're looking for a great place to hang out or have a break and a wonderful cup of coffee, please stop by and see Jeff and thank him for his support of our ministry. FCA, we're touching millions one heart at a time. Since 1954, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has been putting the heart and soul in sports by challenging athletes and coaches to impact the world for Jesus Christ. As the largest sports ministry in the world, FCA now reaches over 2 million people annually on the professional, college, high school, junior high, and youth levels. Through this shared passion for athletics and faith, lives are changed one heart at a time. Learn more at fca.org. 